Thank you. I had vaguely considered finding a costume, but I didn't, I didn't. Yeah, no, no, not the full costume, just like the head. No, I've got a good handle on what's appropriate and what's not. How's your Mother's Day going? That's good? Oh, I'm good. Yeah, thanks. I've probably had my best Mother's Day yet, you know? It's only taken 10 years. We've got, got there. Thanks, team. No, no, it's good. It's, it's good. It's good. Hey, so we're doing Wonder Woman this week. And this was an awesome movie. Who's seen the movie? Yeah? Who loved the movie? Yeah. So good. I heartily recommend it. Um, it's directed by Patty Jenkins. And obviously, it's, I mean, it's based on this massive... Oh, goodness, is it Marvel or DC? It's DC. Who would know? Who would care? <laughs> they, some people would care. Okay. It's based on that. And there was this old school TV series with Linda Carter. You know, she was Wonder Woman. And initially, there was a bit of um, kind of reluctance to get the movie. Like, would, would it, you know, appeal to the typical superhero movie fan base, which is, you know, young males? And um, they did take a risk and made it, and it was a big hit. Like, it, the critics loved it. It was a lot of critical acclaim, but, but normal people liked it as well. The box office, it grossed um, $821 million, and actually it was the highest-grossing superhero mo origin movie ever. It was actually a really big deal. And so in the story, I'll summarise for you, Wonder Woman is Diana. She's an Amazon, this kind of, like, half-human race of, like, incredible woman. And they live on this, um, this island of Themyscira, which is magically protected by Zeus somehow, and um, until such a time as Ares, who's the god of war, is going to return to threaten the world, and they're going to fight again. And Diana has a sense of her destiny, even as um, a little girl. She knows that something, she's called to do something great. But her mother, Queen Hippolyta, is afraid of that. She's afraid of what it might cost her, and so she tries to deny it. But she's got this awesome aunt, Antiope, who trains her in secret. She's like eight and doing stuff that probably Caitlin can do, but eight-year-olds probably can't. <laughs> and um, so she's prepared for it. But then one day, in the middle of World War I, even though the Amazons have no idea what's going on, Steve Trevor appears. Steve Trevor, Trevor the man with two first names. He crash lands off the island, chased by the Germans, and uh, Diana dives into the sea and rescues him. And he, he tells them about World War I, this war to end all wars. And she, Diana knows that this is Ares' work, this, this war. And so she must go and fight Ares to protect humanity. Now, Steve Trevor is a British spy. He's discovered evidence that the sadistic General Ludendorff and um, his chemist, Dr. Poison, <laughs> have developed this um, deadly gas. They're going to launch. It's going to kill soldiers and civilians. It's just going to destroy everything. And so he takes this information to his, um, the leadership in London, um, but they don't want to risk the armistice falling apart, so they're not going to take any action on it. So uh, Diana and Steve go off to the Western Front themselves. To intervene. Um, Steve leads the squad to destroy General Ludendorff in his research lab facility, and Diana's off to take on the god of war himself. Um, that's only a little bit of the story. Rest of the story, all the twists, you can watch it for yourself. But this was a really significant movie, uh, I think particularly in terms of what's been happening in Western culture a lot recently, the rise of feminism, the Me Too movement, just kind of going, oh, woman could be something. It, was, it, it resonated, and I think that was part of its success. And because um, it's actually, it's really significant for a woman to see a woman like her as a superhero, to go, oh, I could be a potential hero. That was a very powerful moment that, um, that you guys probably don't understand. 
I read this great um, quote. Someone called Meg Source is her Twitter handle. <laughs> what, what is that about? Who knows? She said, no wonder white men are so obscenely confident all the time. I saw one woman superhero movie, and I'm ready to fight a thousand dudes barehanded. <laughs> I thought that was cool. And it is certainly inspiring. Um, and Taifa is one of my favorite characters. She inspires me. I want to, like, cut carbs and lift weight. Um, but then I realized that I actually really like carbs. Lifting weight sounds like hard work, so... Oh, well, let's have some cake. But there is incredible inspiration in it. There's real lessons in it. And um, I'm going to walk us through today that are not just for women. They are for all people. Because a lot of what we see in Diana, we see in Jesus. And um, these are the bits I'm going to major on. Because this is church, not just movies. Um, But there is this fascinating dynamic in the movie where what it means to be a hero is looked at from this fresh perspective of a woman. And it raises questions about, you know, what is strength? What does heroism, heroism look like? Where does it lie? Is, it, is heroism just in a superhero's physical powers or is it something else? So first of all, let's set the scene. Um, in the next clip, I'm going to show you. Diana has, she's left the mascara. And if you imagine this island that she's living on, there are no men. And so there's no sexism. There's no misogyny. There's none of that. And she lands in World War I London. And it's a classic fish out of water bit moment. So we see how she kind of reacts as she enters a society that sees her as lesser. And how she's to fit in. Let's see the first clip. <laughs> Thank God, you're not dead! <laughs> <laughs> I did think you were dead until I got your call, you know. He's been gone for weeks. Not a single word. Very unlike him. I'm introducing myself. It's Etta Candy. I'm Steve Travers' secretary. What is a secretary? Well, I do everything. I go where he tells me to go and I do what he tells me to do. Well, where I'm from, that's called slavery. I really like her. Fantastic. Ladies, have you? I do. I like her. And it does rather feel like that, except the pay's not good. We've got our work cut out for us, haven't we? Is this what passes for armor in your country? Oh, uh, well, uh, armor. It's fashion. Keeps our tummies in. Why must you keep them in? Only a woman with no tummy would ask that question. Conservative, but not entirely unfun. Try it on, at least. Very well. Principles. I mean, that's how we're going to get the vote. Although, I am not opposed to engaging in a bit of fisticuffs should the occasion arise. Lovely. It's itchy. It's choking me. God, say, blame it. Better. Where is she? Oh, she's trying on outfit number 226. was to make her look less distracting. Yeah. Yeah, really specs. 
suddenly she's not the most beautiful woman you've ever seen. Better. Yep, that's not gonna work. Put, please put the sword down, Diana. Diana. Let me try it by myself. After you, sir. Gotta. Why don't I meet you back at the office, and meanwhile I'll take this for safekeeping? Oh, no, I don't think so. You gotta put the sword down, Diana, please. It doesn't go with the outfit. At all. Put the sword down, first of all. <gasps> Promise me you will protect it with your life. <laughs> yes. No. You can trust her. Just hand that over. Shield. And the shield oh, to there her. There we go. Whoa. You got it. Thanks, Edna. This is easy. <laughs> fit does she the whole look doesn't really fit and she's kind of um she's confused and a little bit amused actually about how women fit into the society and but i love the way that she takes um she compromises on the dress thing she knows she's got to fit in so she compromises on that expectation this this matter of style it you know, takes her a while to find something but while she might compromise on that she still knows her call and there are many things that she refuses to compromise on when it comes to situations where values and principles are in question, she gives no quarter. And so this morning, I'm going to walk us through some, um, some of her fundamental principles, things that kind of undergird un all of her actions throughout the movie, things that make her a superhero, but also make her distinctively the kind of superhero that she is. And because this isn't one, just one big movie review, um, I'm quickly, you're going to quickly see how these ideals and principles of Wonder Woman are so biblical. So like Jesus, that if you want to be living more like Jesus, you'll get closer to it by living more like Wonder Woman. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to show you the, another clip that's um, set in London just after this one. So Steve Trevor is trying to report back to the military leadership about this terrible gas that's been developed by the enemy. He wants to force them to take action to save lives. Um, and he's busted into the council, and, but his Diana coming as a woman, he's got them kicked out. And um, we'll see what happens next as he does get to share a bit. Cool. What were you thinking? Bringing a woman into the council? The intel that I brought back is time sensitive. This is one of Dr. Maru's notebooks. Notebook or We need to get it to cryptography, and I need an immediate audience for the generals. You do not just barge in here and demand Sir, with all due respect, what I saw on my last mission would change the course of the war. I heard we'd lost you on one of your missions, yet here you are back from the dead, and I see you've brought a friend with you. Our deepest apologies for the interruption, sir. No, 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 no. Nonsense. Thanks to this young woman, the room was finally quiet enough for me to get at least a few words in. Sir Patrick Morgan, at your service. Diana, Princess of Plymouth. Prince. Diana Prince. She is, uh, and I are working together. She actually helped me bring this uh, notebook back here. That's from Dr. Maru's lab. I think the information contained inside will change the course of the war, sir. My God. Dr. Poison herself. Mm, yes.
further intelligence? Sadly not, sir. Cryptography have had no luck. It seems like it's a mixture of two languages, but as yet they failed to determine which two languages. Ottoman and Sumerian. Surely someone else in this room knew that. Who is this woman? She's my um, secretary, sir. And she can understand Ottoman and Sumerian. She's, she's a very good secretary. <laughs> Sarah. Sir, if this woman can read it, we should hear what she has to say. Yes, very well. It's a formula for a new kind of gas, mustard gas, hydrogen-based instead of sulfur. Gas masks would be useless against hydrogen. The book says they plan to release the gas at, at the front. When? It doesn't say. Wait, front of what? Sir. That is the evidence we need. You have to find out where they're making that gas. You have to burn it to the ground, destroy it. Ludendorff was last seen in Belgium. We can't be seen sending troops into German-occupied Belgium as we are negotiating their surrender. Sir, I've seen that gas with my own eyes. If it is used, it will kill everyone on both sides. They will all die. That is what soldiers do, Captain. Send me in with some logistical support, at least give me the chance to take out Ludendorff's operation myself. Are you insane? I can't introduce rogue elements this late in the game. Sir, I, I can tell- Now, more than ever, the armistice is of paramount importance. It must be negotiated, it must be signed, and this is, well, it's the best way of stopping the war. Captain, you will do nothing, and that is an order. Yes, sir. I understand, sir. I don't. Diana, I know this confusing. It is you not confusing. Who is this She's with me. She's with us, sir. I am sir. not. I am not with you. You would knowingly sacrifice all those lives as if they mean less than yours. Diana, let's talk as about If this they mean nothing. Where I come from, Diana. generals don't hide in their offices like cowards. That's enough. They fight alongside their soldiers. They die with that's them on the battlefield. That's enough. You should apologies. be ashamed. My apologies. You should be ashamed. Diana. All of you should Diana. be ashamed. Please, slow down, Diana. That's your leader? How could he say that, believe that? And, and you, with your duty to simply give them a book? No. You didn't stand your ground, you, you didn't fight. Because there was no chance of changing his mind. This is Ares, and he's not going to allow a negotiation or a surrender. The millions of people you talked about, they will die. We are Might going we... anyway. You mean you were lying? I'm a spy, that's what I do. How do I know you're not lying to me right now? I am taking you to the front. We are probably gonna die. This is a terrible idea. We're gonna need reinforcements. Uh, she just doesn't get how lightly they treat human life. The generals talk about diplomacy and negotiation, you know, acting politically, but to Diana that is, it's unacceptable. People will suffer, and that is just wrong, because some things are just wrong. She doesn't, you know, even get how how Steve can lie. You know, she, throughout it, she talks about keeping promises, fighting with honour. In her mind, some things are right, and some things are wrong, regardless of what is convenient, or what is popular, or what is practical. And while I still believe that not everything is black and white, you know, there's a whole lot of grey out there. 
There are some things that are just wrong, and we need to care about that. Suffering and injustice are, are wrong, and we simply can't put up with them. And so Diana, with all this, you know, this moral passion of being an Amazon, she aspires to actually put an end to the phenomenon of war itself. And it's interesting how, because she's come from this isolation and she sees everything, she's not as dulled to it as we are. She doesn't accept that some people have to be collateral damage. And it's cool how her passionate moral sense is actually it's treated as a key tool in her superhero skill set. It's not like it is a mark of her inexperience or some kind of like girlish naivety. Uh, she defines herself more by her ideals than by her invulnerable powers. That's the thing that sets her apart. So the question is, you know, where's our moral code? Are we passionately committed to the idea that some things are right and some things are wrong, regardless of how familiar we are with them, regardless of what the rest of the world might say, regardless of how much it might cost us to stick to those ideals? And I'm not talking about the kind of things that, um, that Christians are kind of typically known to be against, you know, things of issues about sex or homosexuality, the length of your skirt, the cut of your top, the language you use. Perhaps those things are an issue. Perhaps they're not. But too often Christians get caught up in talking about those things when actually it's the deeper things of social justice, poverty, violence, and abuse. Those are the things that Jesus was passionate. James 1.27, it says, true, spiritu ugh, true spirituality that is pure in the eyes of our Father God is to make a difference in the lives of the orphans and widows in their troubles and to refuse to be corrupted by the world's values. True spirituality is making a difference for people in need, for the vulnerable. And those are the ideas that God is primarily concerned about. And those are the things that Diana is concerned about. She won't give way on them. But she's not just like theoretically concerned about them. They're not just ideas to her, they're ideas that move her. And we saw her in that clip getting all head up because she's passionate about what she believes in. You know, when she sees those ideals being disregarded, she is moved to outrage at evil and compassion for the needy. And that's my, my second point, that while she might have this strong moral code, it moves her. And it doesn't move her to judgment. You know, if we think about those things that we talk about, oh, Christians are against that, often the Christians might, you know, Christians... I'm using inverted commas here, a move to judge a person by that. Oh, you, you can't be in my community because you behave like this, you dress like this, you whatever. You know, the moral code that Diana has and the moral code that Jesus has says, oh, suffering and injustice, that's wrong. And I move to compassion. And we're going to see it in this, um, this next clip, which is my fave. As they arrive in France, Diana experiences her first taste of war and it horrifies her. You know, she's dragged past... Uh, animals in need and a severely wounded man and she can't stop to help. But then she learns that there's an entire town just over there that's under siege and she can't compromise anymore. And um, she does this amazing, amazing thing. So let's watch this bit next. I am. It means no man can cross it, all right? This battalion has been here for nearly a year and they, they barely gained an inch. All right, because on the other side, there are a bunch of Germans pointing machine guns at every square inch of this place. This is not something you can cross. It's not possible. So what? So we do nothing? No, we, do, we are doing something. We are. We just, we can't save everyone in this war. This is not what we came here to do.
but it's what I'm going to do. I'll go ahead. So good. I've watched that so many times. <laughs> this is Wonder Woman's pivotal scene. All superheroes have them, and they're this uh, defining moment that tells us who our heroes really are, uh, what they stand for, and what drives their heroism. So she knows that there is a village under siege just on the other side, but the soldiers have made no progress towards it towards freeing it. They just can't move forward. It's, it's no man's land. And Steve explains, you know, there's, uh, it means no man can cross it. You see what they did there? She's a woman. This is not possible, he says. We can't save everyone. And Diana just cannot stand by and do nothing. She sees a need, it touches her heart, and she's moved by it. And um, in this glorious scene, I love how she shakes out her hair. When we all know that, actually, that's quite impractical. Going into battle, you want to tie up your hair? <laughs> but she has to do something. We see her courage, her strength, uh, her impossible powers. But we also see her compassion and love. 
her passion to protect those who can't protect themselves, how the way she responds to suffering. And this compassion really characterizes her as a superhero. It's something that she distinctively brings because she's a woman, where in the past often we've only, well, we've only really seen these hyper-masculine models of a superhero because Wonder Woman is soft and hard. She's strong and gentle. She's determined, but she's also empathetic. And there's something really key here to get, that heroic doesn't have to mean hard, that strong doesn't have to mean stoic. It can mean soft at heart, compassionate, moved to emotion. You know, what your strength consists in, and Roseanne, I think this is what God was talking to me about, is that, um, I think particularly for you, but I, mean, I think for all of us, what your strength consists in is something that's quite distinctive to who you are, and it's not perhaps what other people would say is, and I don't know if it's perhaps belittled or despised, like I don't know, know you well enough, but there is something that's distinctive about you, that what makes you strong, strong for yourself and strong for other people, that is very different to what the world would naturally characterize as strength. So stand in that. Yeah. And she just, I love it, she's moved. She's not, not out of breath, she's moved because she cares about people. And, um, hang on, I need to turn my page over because I'm double-sided. So confusing. It's really true for both men and women. Um, you know, for men, I think often we, well, especially these hyper-masculine superheroes, you know, you're told your strength consists in your physicality. But obviously, that's not just it. But it's not just your strength as a man doesn't just consist in your toughness, your ability to withstand pressure without feeling it, you know, without letting people know that you're suffering, just knuckling down when the pressure's on at work and without opening up to a friend. You know, the ladies, the same goes for us as well. When a circumstance has hurt you, you know, when you're feeling something, the strong man and the strong woman acknowledges that hurt and processes it. He or she doesn't just stuff it down and toughen up. And in the same way that the strong man and the strong woman can give space to emotion when they see another person hurting, only the strong can weep with those who weep. And I've really got a sense, yeah, that some of you need to hear today that people might have told you that your softness of heart is a weakness when actually it's a strength. Your softness of heart is a strength. And in fact, it's a lot like Jesus. It's a lot like Jesus. In the Gospels, we repeatedly see the way that Jesus is doing something and he's going to go have a break, but it says he was moved with compassion for the people. And so he, he you know, feeds them or he teaches them or he heals them. Um, Jesus is a crier, even. In John 11, it talks about how Jesus weeps over the death of Lazarus. In Luke 19, he weeps over the city of Jerusalem. But the thing is that compassion doesn't just look like comforting, saying, oh, there, there, it's going to be okay. We can think that compassion is just something sentimental, a little bit saccharine at times, but in Wonder Woman, we see compassion sitting alongside outrage. She's compassionate to the suffering, but she's outraged at evil. And this is the key. She's compassionate towards suffering. She's outraged at evil. Not at the people, but at the evil, which she locates in, in Aries. And we know that's not true because he's a god and not a real thing. There's a, but there's this really important distinction. It's the evil that she's outraged at. She has this righteous indignation. And that is something we need to reclaim. Because too often... 
we are tolerant to suffering. We're tolerant to brokenness and this tolerant to injustice. It just builds up because we're exposed to it so much. You know, it gets familiar. You can get compassion fatigue. We can get cynical about humanity. Sometimes we mentally distance ourselves from it. We'll say it's, you know, not my responsibility. But in this scene, we've just seen, Steve tells you this is not something you can cross. This is not possible. He says, we can't save everyone in this war. This is not what we came here to do. And Diana says, no, but it's what I came to do. And in three, you see this throughout the movie, how she stands apart from everyone. She even stands apart from the Amazons by her determination to take action on what she believes in, regardless of what other people think. She's got this moral code, she's moved to compassion and outrage, and then she's motivated to act. She has to do something. And you can see how this, this flow comes out, and that's the flow that is supposed to happen for each one of us. Talks in James 2 about how our faith has to be expressed in deeds. And when it's talking about it, it's in the context of having compassion on someone in need. It says if you see someone in need, you can't just go, oh, oh, that's terrible, wish you well, and not do something. You've got to do what you can to help them. And back near the beginning, I'm going to show you of the movie, there's this great clip, I think, that really defines it for Diana. So she's asked her mother, Queen Hippolyta, um, if she can go to fight Ares and help Steve, and her mother says no, the cost is too great. But Diana gets ready to leave anyway. She steals her sword and her shield. And just before they set sail, though, her mother catches up with her. We'll see what happens next. I'm going, Mother. I cannot stand by while innocent lives are lost. If no one else will defend the world from Ares, then I must. I have to go. I know. Or at least I know I cannot stop you. There's so much. So much you do not understand. I understand enough. But I'm willing to fight for those who cannot fight for themselves. Like you once did. You know that if you choose to leave, you may never return. Who will I be if I stay? This belonged to the greatest warrior in our history. Our beloved Antiope. Make sure you're worthy of it. I will. Be careful in the world of men, Diana. Beautiful mother-daughter relationship there. <laughs> but she has to act. You know, her, her, her mum says there's so much you don't understand. She says, I understand enough that I'm willing to fight for those who cannot fight for themselves. She has to act. She has to do something. 
And it reminds you of this, um, this great quote by the Irish statesman Edmund Burke. He says, The only thing necessary for the triumph, triumph of evil is that good men should do nothing. And in this case, good women and a bunch of men. Good men, Steve Trevor included. But regardless of what other people say, regardless of what other people do, what other, regardless of what people might say about what I can do, even if people say, I can't really change, I've got to do something. And there's this fantastic bit where Hippolytus says, um, you might not return. But she replies, well, who will I be if I stay? You know, who will I be if I do nothing? Her urge to act is based in her identity. Because of who she is, she must do something. And too often we decide whether we're going to take an action based on our chance of success, based on whether other people are doing it, based on whether other people think we can do it, when really we need to stand on our convictions and act out of who we are, what the call is on our lives. You know, so often I think we feel outrage or we feel compassion, but we don't do anything because we can feel it's, it's just a drop in the ocean. You know, like, oh, I'm not going to make a difference, just a drop in the ocean. But each drop is a person, and each person is valuable. You know, it's actually not, a, it's not about whether I have a good chance of fixing the whole problem, because actually that's usually out of my control. It's about whether, well, it's about who I am and what I'm called to do. And, you know, it's actually the only thing God's going to hold us to account for. You're held, held to account for whether you are obedient on what you were asked to do not necessarily on the results that are out of your control. And I want to encourage you today, you can choose to do nothing about the wrong that is happening in the world, the wrong that's happening in your world, or you can choose to do something. You know, no matter how much or little it helps. But it is worthwhile to continue fighting for the sake of what is right and for the defense of those who need defending, even when the world seems stacked against us. You know, it might not be as flashy as, World War, as Wonder Woman deflecting bullets with her bracelets. Um, it's probably not going to be that flashy. Because <laughs> we fight not with superhuman physical powers, uh, but through a commitment to love. And that commitment is something this movie shows so well. Uh, but it's, and it's not a romanticized version of love. It's not sentimental. It's a deeply embodied love that's born out of our willingness to sacrifice ourselves and our own well-being for another. And nothing is as powerful or as radical as that. You know, even if the act we do is something small. And I think, you know, so I was praying this morning, what, what God just spoke to me was, he said, you know, I think often we believe, well, we don't believe in our ability to do something. We don't believe in our ability to make a difference. But the simple acts of obedience that God is calling you to do can unlock incredible change. You don't know. Often you don't see it. You might see it eventually or you might never see it. But if God is calling you to do something, then that is what God is calling you to do. And that's what we've got to do. It's actually that simple. Let's ask Amanda if you could come up. So I want to ask, you know, what is it for you? Where do you need to stand on your convictions? Stand up for what's right? Where do you need to be moved to compassion or outrage about a situation that you've become dulled to? Let some righteous indignation fire up your prayer life. You know, I love those moments when I've gone, I am not going to stand for this anymore. You know, sometimes you, you just, 
you see a situation and you think it's about the person. Oh, they're angry about this and that and she's behaving like this and he's doing that and, and you can kind of respond to that. But if you were Diana, you would say, oh, I can see this is Aries. And Aries is like the devil. You know, you go, I can see actually what the enemy is doing here. And then you choose to fight against that rather than dealing with the issue or getting angry or offended or whatever. You go, actually, I'm not going to stand for that. You know, and that is where actually you do have supernatural powers to fight because our battle isn't against flesh and blood. You actually have superhuman, supernatural powers to fight. And when you stand up in prayer and you fight for your family, for your friends, for your community, you can change everything because you've got the power of the name of Jesus who has already won. So I want to encourage you, why don't you stand with me? Let's take a moment to listen to God, to say, okay, God, what's something that you want to stir in my heart? And it's going to be different for each one of us. So let's just close your eyes, just tune out any distractions. God, move me, Lord. Make my heart soft to the things that you care about. It's in this space. Why don't you ask God, what, what are you calling me? Who are you calling me to be? What are you calling me to do? This week, how can I help someone in need? What's the next step? How do you, how do you want me to pray, Lord? Where do I need to battle in prayer for someone? And I reckon some thought has come into your head. Maybe you think, oh, I just whatever came to mind. That's probably God. That's probably God. Why don't you go and do it? Because you could be the one to change someone's life this week. And together, you know, we can make a big difference. A movement of people acting on their ideals and their compassion can change the world. You know, that's essentially what Jesus did for us. Diana is an amazing superhero, but she can pale, she pales in comparison to Jesus because he stood up to fight against evil because of his compassion, because of his love for us. He faced the pain and the rejection of the cross so he could defeat sin and shame. And when he rose again, he defeated death itself. As about a superhero as it gets. He defeated death itself. And he gives each of us the opportunity to get in on the life that he has won if we choose to follow him. So while we're all standing, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus, to put your hand up and say, I want to follow Jesus. So everyone just close your eyes just to give people a bit of space. Who's here today who would like to do that? Who wants to say yes to Jesus? Maybe for the first time, maybe for to restart your journey. You, want to, you need to say that. If that's you, just put your hand up so I can see it. Give me a wee wave. Cool, I see that hand. Is there anyone else? Okay, I'm not seeing any hands, so you can open your eyes. That person who's put your hand up, we're going to pray with you afterwards. That's awesome. That's really exciting. And um, I just really want to encourage you that you can make a difference. You know, you don't have to be an Amazon you don't need to have a, a superhero costume. It's probably best if you don't have a superhero costume. 
but you can do incredible things. But it's in the obedience to what God has made you, who He's calling you to be, and what He's calling you to do in, in just the everyday life that you have. You can be wondrous as well. And I have that today.